Good morning. Welcome, uh, Valley Christian Church. Uh, we're real excited continuing the series that we began uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're studying through the book of Judges uh, this summer. We're calling it Thrones, and we're asking ourselves the question, who's on the throne of your heart? Uh, and before uh, we, we jump into the message, though, this morning, uh, I, I'd like to just uh, say a couple things, and, and then uh, uh, let's spend a little bit of time in prayer. Uh, I, I think we'd be a little a little miss uh, to just kind of go on about our business uh, without recognizing a, a lot of uh, anxiety and worry and concern and fear uh, that is prevalent in our nation right now uh, due to uh, some of the current events that we've witnessed over the last week uh, to two weeks. And uh, last uh, yesterday, actually, I had the opportunity to meet with all the leadership in the church uh, that's not away on vacation, about 37, 39 uh, people and, uh, in, in the church that are our leadership. And, and we spent time in prayer for our nation. And uh, I, I want to just call the church to pray as well uh, on behalf of our nation. Uh, pastor Stephen, our campus pastor in Poughkeepsie, uh, he, he led the congregation as well in prayer there at 930 this morning. I did it at 930 here as well. And uh, I, I think these are times for prayer uh, for our nation. Um, it's obvious uh, that the answer is not in politics. It's obvious that the answer is not in education. And it's obvious that the answer is not in money or finance. The answer to what plagues us as a nation is in God, in God alone. He has the answer because it's a problem in the human heart. And you can't finance that away. You can't educate that away. You can't teach that away. We need God to transform our hearts and so we need to pray and I, and I just want to remind uh, many of us and for some of us it might be the last time or the first time that we've ever seen this before but uh, actually in the Old Testament in 2nd Chronicles there's a scripture if we could put that up on the screen 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 and God says if my people that's where it starts that's where it ends my people not other people <laughs> not uh, those other folks, God says, if my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, watch this now, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. So it's up to us. It's up to us as the people of God. Now, now here's the reality still in the United States of America. This is the most segregated time all week long, Sunday morning, in our nation. Churches, most segregated time in America is Sunday morning. I'm thankful that's not the case here in Valley Christian Church. And that's something that is very, very core value to us, is that we are a church of all races and ethnicity. And, and, and we want to continue to grow and be that. Everyone is welcome. In fact, I'll just tell you, I've said this before, we love first-time guests when they come. I always like when they just look a little bit different than plain vanilla, Greg Williamson does. I just, uh, that excites me, it really does. Because the scripture tells us on the day the church was birthed, Acts chapter 2, it was a diverse church. There were those that heard in their own tongue when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the gospel being presented. Revelation tells us around the throne of God in eternity are those from every nation, tongue, and tribe. 
So every time we gather together, we should be coming attractions for what all eternity is supposed to be like. And so I want to lead the church now in prayer, and I want to call our church to prayer. Because this isn't just going to be like one and done and move forward. The answer here is that we first and foremost, we say, God, search my heart. Search my heart for any prejudice. Search my heart that, that I hold on to my political perspective tighter than I do what your word tells me about the value of all human life. That every human being is made in the image of God. And so it starts with us first. And so when I see things played out on the screen and current events, uh, instead of thinking, what does Greg think? I, my my knee-jerk reaction is to go back to God's words. What does God say about this? And what God says is, my people pray. My people repent. My people turn. And I'll heal your land. I'll forgive your sin. And I'll heal your land. And so I'm going to ask right now, would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, we come to you today and many with, with worry and fear and, and concern and even anxiety. And first of all, Lord, we're reminded that your word tells us that you're the God of all comfort. And Father, we pray right now for those loved ones, those families that are grieving over the loss of a loved one even just, just in this short window of time, and we know this isn't new, Lord, but in this short window of time in the last few days and weeks that we've seen unfold before us. Comfort those, Lord, that grieve the loss of someone they care, someone they love, someone, member of their family. Father, at the same time, we take your word seriously and we recognize that, that what you want to do in our lives and through our lives and touching our community and ultimately our nation, that we have a responsibility. We're not disconnected from current events. And so we take your words to our heart that, that if, we'll, if we'll pray, if we'll seek, our, seek you and humble ourselves and we'll turn from our sins, that you'll hear our prayer, forgive our sins and heal our land. Father, by your Holy Spirit, show us areas of prejudice in our own hearts that still remain. Convict us, Lord, that we would lay those things aside and turn from them. And Father, may your love be demonstrated in and through our lives. That just as our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ said, by this all men will know you're my disciples. By the love that you have one for another. And may that be the fruit of our lives, and may love be our continual action as we reach out for others. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. And I want to just encourage you, Valley family, let's continue to pray, because the change begins with us. And that's what we're told here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And let us be the change, instead of expecting someone else to do it for us. Well... That being said, almost 18 months ago, I began doing just a personal in-depth study of the book of Judges. Had no idea what the situation would be like in July of 2016. In fact, it was just for me, and I told the staff, I'm not going to preach this or anything. This is just for me. And I started throwing out nuggets left and right, throwing my own personal devotions in this book. 
we came to the conclusion, no, maybe you should do that as a summer series. So we're calling this series Thrones, and uh, we're actually in week number five right now. And as I said, we're discovering that, that this book of the Old Testament is not a historical book. It has life lessons that apply to us right here, July 2016, in the United States of America, in sunny downtown Hopewell Junction as well. And so let's jump right into the message right now. number five uh, of our series that we're calling Thrones as we're working our way through uh, the Old Testament book of Judges. We like to do this every summer, take a book of the Bible uh, and just to go through it chapter by chapter. It's important to me as a lead pastor, uh, what I always think about is if someone comes to our church for the first time and, and, and say they're only here for 12 months and then they get uh, you know relocated or something like that, it's important to me that during that time that they will have understood one book of the Bible at a much deeper level than they knew previous to ever coming to Valley Christian Church. So during the summer, we take the time uh, to go through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter. Actually, last year, you'll remember if you were here, we went through the book of James. And we're in the book of Judges right now, and, and what we've learned, first of all, quick review is, when you hear Judges, don't think of someone in a robe with a gavel. That's not what the book is really about. Judges, the word, uh, when you see that in the Bible, think of a hero. Think of a deliverer. Uh, think of, of someone that God works in and through their lives to bring about a great, great change in the entire nation. That's what this book is all about. But one of the persistent questions throughout this book that, that we can almost hear behind the scenes being asked is this, who's on the throne of your heart? Who's on the throne of your heart? Every one of us has to make that decision. Am I, is Greg on the throne? Is, is uh, uh, my, my job on the throne? What's the most important thing in our lives? And over and over again, we see repeated through the book of Judges is this cycle of the people of God. They served God. They worshiped God. They reverenced him. Then they, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And, and when they turned away from God, what happened? Incredible calamity and despair came upon them as a nation. And then they repented and they turned back to God and God brought a deliverer. And they said, we're going to worship you and we're never going to turn away from you again. And then just a few years of good living went by and then they, each one did what was right in their own eyes again. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Just amazing how practical the Bible is uh, to us and how it's alive. It's not just a historical book, but it's alive and it's active today as well. 
And so last week we picked up the story and we started looking at one of the heroes introduced in Judges chapter 6, and that is Gideon. And we found out that Gideon was really uh, crippled with fear. He was really a coward, but the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and we discussed who that was. Uh, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him while he's literally in fear trying to do work in a wine press and says, you're a mighty man of God, a mighty warrior, and God's going to use you. And Gideon's kind of like, you talking to me? And we realized this very important point last week uh, in our study together is that God doesn't call the brave, but God makes brave the called. And so if we're here kind of today and knees knocking and all that, guess what? God wants to make you brave. Because God doesn't call those who are brave. He makes brave those who he's called. So now we're going to look at how God brings about this incredible uh, victory through the life of Gideon and specifically winning with weakness. Now I know this sounds counterintuitive that we win when we're weak, but over and over again we're going to find throughout the scripture this is the way that God does it. When we're weak, he's strong. And so many times we're looking for God to do something. He says, you've got to admit your weakness before I can show my strength through your life. And so let me just see who I'm talking to this morning. Ask a question. How many of you love an underdog? You love an underdog story, you know, when the odds are stacked against them, all of a sudden they prevail. I mean, think about it. We just finished celebrating underdog, didn't we? Fourth of July, Declaration of Independence, when this 13 colonies said to the most powerful empire in the world at the time, we don't want you no more, and fought a battle, fought a war that no one, would ever give us credit that that the colonies could actually be victorious over Britain. And we were. And I think it's kind of in our DNA as Americans. We love the story of an underdog. How about Rudy? You ever seen the movie Rudy before? You know, and just carried off at the end of that. And Rocky. Rocky Saga. Man, I'm all up in there about Rocky. I love the Rocky Saga. He's an underdog. Underdog. And he's victorious. Now, here's the thing. We're about to look at how God gives Gideon the victory over the Midianites. And I've preached this, actually, before. A couple years ago, did a series, God of the Underdogs. And we looked at Gideon as one of the characters in the Old Testament. But here's the thing. After even more study, my mind has actually been changed. I don't know for sure that Gideon was an underdog. So if you're looking for an underdog story today, you're not going to find one. Gideon really wasn't an underdog because God was on his side. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And so it looked like the odds were stacked against him, but God said, "Uh, I'm joining Team Gideon. And so it didn't matter how many tens of thousands of soldiers the Midianites had against him. Gideon was already the overdog and not the underdog. And there's five things in Judges chapter 7, five lessons that I think we can learn about how God wants, to, wants you and I to win through weakness in our own lives as well. So if you have your Valley Christian Church app, if you'll go ahead and turn that on and you can follow right along and fill in the blanks, all the scriptures for you right there on the app. If you haven't downloaded that, it's free in your app store on your mobile device. And I encourage you to do that because there's a lot of great benefit 
across the board, uh, just connecting with Valley Christian Church and all we have going on here on an ongoing basis. Here's, here's the first point that we find in Judges chapter 7, and then we'll look at it, but I want to give you the point first. Before God works through us, He often weakens us. How many of you say, hallelujah, come Lord Jesus, do it? But it's the truth. Before God actually works through us, oftentimes He weakens us. He weakens us. So let's jump in. Judges chapter 7, the Midianites are the enemies of Israel at this time. They're, they're coming in every time there's a harvest. Uh, there's, there's the time for planting and there's a time of harvest. They come in, they sweep in and take all the crop of Israel. For years and years this is going on. And they're completely destroying and decimating Israel every time the crop is time to harvest. And, and so God appears to Gideon and says, you're a mighty warrior. I'm going to use you to overthrow the Gideons, uh, to overthrow the Midianites, rather. And this is what it says in Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerubbabel, now that's a nickname. It says, that is Gideon. That was a nickname that was given to Gideon, Jerubbabel. What does Jerubbabel mean? It's kind of cool if you unpack it. You see Baal there, B-A-A-L. That was one of the false gods. That was one of the idols at the time. But one of Gideon's nicknames was Jerubbabel. You know what that means literally in Hebrew? Baal butt kicker. <laughs> Gideon is Baal butt kicker. That's who he is. And they say, oh, by the way, in case you get confused, we're talking about Gideon, the writer of Judges. Early in the morning, Baal butt kicker, also known as Gideon, and all his men camped uh, at the spring of Herod. Uh, the camp of Midian was north of them. Now Gideon set out the word. He goes, I need men. I need soldiers. And, and roughly over 30,000 men came to Gideon in order to fight against Midian. And so he's got this army of 30,000 plus. Most commentators believe the Midianites had about 30,000, maybe even 40,000 thereabout. And so it seems like, okay, the odds are not really in his favor, but it, it's pretty close there. Look at what happens in verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. What? God says, Midian, you got too many. Don't miss this. This is the pivotal verse in this whole entire chapter. God says, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me, God says. They'll boast, they'll get, they'll get on a pride ride, get arrogant, and boast against me, my own strength has saved me. God says, Gideon, I want to give you the victory, but I refuse to share the credit with you or anyone else. You've got too many men. You're too strong. And, and I work through weakness. My strength shows up in human weakness, not in strength. And he, he says, I can't do it. I cannot deliver Midian into the hands because Israel's going to boast against me. And you know what? That's what started the whole problem to begin with is that they turned away from me and thought they could do it on their own. And so... Verse 3, it says, Now announce to the army, God continues to say, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Think about this for a minute. You're Gideon. We just saw in, in the last chapter, when, when, when God speaks to him, he's scared for his life. Now he's got a good army. Now, now it's like, okay, maybe, we, maybe we've got the odds on our side. Maybe we're getting closer. And then God says, tell anybody who's afraid they can leave. 
And can't you imagine old Gideon facing the troops? Ah, uh, listen, just want to let you know, if, 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 if any of you are afraid or anything like that, you can go home, and I hope none of you are afraid and none of you go home. And two-thirds of the army left. Two-thirds gone. Just like that. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Gideon, I'm like, God, does that apply to me? Because I could really get home quick right now. So 22,000 men left out of about 30. And 10,000 remained. But you see that little continued? See, that's my little prompt that I know I've got to keep reading because it's not over yet. The Bible goes on and it says, But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. What? You still have, you got 10,000 and that's too many. Take them down to the water and I'll thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And so right here, God is thinning out the number. And it's very interesting what he says. He goes, listen, Gideon, I want you to take them down to the water the 10,000 you have left, and I want you to observe how they drink the water. And you observe how they drink the water, and then I'm going to tell you the ones I want you to send home and the ones that I want you to keep. What is this all about? And so in verse 6, it goes on and it says, 300 of them drank with, from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. They, they cupped their hands like this, probably down on one knee, went... All the rest got down to their knees and drank. They probably stuck their head in the water. I don't know. The Bible goes on and it says, The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give you the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. What? 9,700 men. Bye. Keep the 300. What is this all about? The ones that got down and drank it with cupped hands like a dog. You know, God says, what is this? God likes dogs more than cats? Absolutely. No, Greg likes dogs more than cats. That's not what this is about. Well, what's, what's the whole point to this? I've heard all kinds of things, you know. Uh, well, maybe they, they stuck their head in the water and therefore they weren't as observant of the enemy. None of that. No, that's not the issue at all. God knew a small segment would drink with cup hands, and most of them wouldn't. And he's like, I'm going with the smaller number. I'm going to whittle it down. Not the 9,700. I'm not going to let you go up against Midian with that, that many. 300. And these were not special forces. 300 men. That most, most commentators believe they probably never even been in battle before. 300 men going up against about 40,000 Midianite soldiers. Amazing. Let the others go home. God intentionally weakened Gideon's army. Deliberately made his army weaker. Here's the big idea for this whole chapter in Judges chapter 7 that I think is so important for us as we're asking ourselves the question over these weeks, who's on the throne of our heart? Here's the, here's the big idea today from Judges chapter 7. If God on the throne of your heart is the goal, 
then weakness is an advantage. If the goal is God is first in our life, then weakness is to our advantage. Because when I'm weak, I'm dependent upon Him. But when I deceive myself and thinking I'm God's mighty man of faith and power for the hour, I don't need Him much. And that's why we need to learn this lesson of winning with weakness. Because it's not only here in Judges chapter 7, but played out over and over and over again, all throughout the Bible, we find God chooses weakness to work through. And that's the way we win. Not from a position of strength, but from a position of weakness instead. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who only wrote two-thirds of the entire New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's one point in 2 Corinthians where he's actually talking about what's called the thorn in his flesh. And, and, and commentators and scholars are all, all different ideas about what his thorn in the flesh was. But it says that three times he prayed that God would remove it. Three times the Apostle Paul, God, can you change this? God, do something. It's pretty interesting. Many commentators believe it may have actually been blindness. Can you imagine this? Powerful Apostle Paul that has to be led into the room before he speaks if he was blind I personally that's what my opinion is because the Bible is really clear Paul wrote two thirds or he authored two thirds of the New Testament but he never wrote them personally someone else he's, he transcribed them he dictated them to other people and he was a very brilliant man certainly was in, within his power to write it down that's one of the reasons why I think it may have been problems with his eyesight Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, as he prayed three times for God to take this thorn out of his flesh, this metaphor. Each time he said, that's God, my grace is all you need. And don't miss this now. God says to the Apostle Paul, my power works best in weakness. My power works best in weakness. So many times I, I hear Christians saying, where's the power of God today? Where's the power of God today? The answer is we keep the power of God shut up because we think we're strong instead of admitting we're weak. Every one of us is weak. We know we have weaknesses, and we work so hard trying to pretend like we're strong all the time. We've always got it together. I don't know about you. I know for me, I'm just so tired of trying to be strong all the time. I'm so tired of the mental energy of trying to just hold it all together all the time. And it seems like the Apostle Paul knew something that we need to learn. God's power works best in weakness. Then he goes on to make this incredible statement. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. He says, I brag about being weak. I brag about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. When's the last time you bragged about your weakness? When's the last time you bragged about your faults? You, you gloried in what you couldn't do rather than what you could. 
See, here's the thing. Personally, if, if I brag about my strengths, you may start to think, man, I wish I was more like Greg, but there's no way I can be. Wow, that's good for him, but that's not me. Watch this now. But if I brag about my weaknesses, if I brag about the fact that I'm a real introvert and, and the idea of getting up in front of people and talking, I mean, that's just nuts. That I'm really happiest like when I'm alone by myself. That you're really witnessing the power of God coming through a pretty shy, timid person. Now all of a sudden, wow, that same power is available to me too. If God can do that through him, what could God do through me and my weaknesses? And it makes the power of God available to us, to us all. This is what the Apostle Paul recognized. My power works best in weakness is what God says. So he said, you know what? I stopped bragging and boasting about my strengths. I want to brag about my weaknesses. I, I want to brag about how totally, completely dependent I am upon God every moment of the day. That's what I want to brag about. Because when I brag about my weaknesses, his power comes through. That's how we win with weakness. Doesn't that, when you think about it, at the very heart of salvation itself, what is salvation? It's when any one of us and every one of us, we come to the point when we realize, God, I'll never be good enough to earn your forgiveness. I'm messed up inside. I, I, I don't do the stuff I should do that you want me to do. And I do the stuff you don't want me to do that you know are bad for me and that I know is no good for me. And, and I, just, I just can't ever get it right. God, I need your help. I'm weak. And in that moment, we receive what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection, and then we become strong in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, following Jesus, we've got this whole thing wrong. We think it's going from weakness to strength. That's walking away from him. Following Jesus is going from strength to weakness, more and more dependent upon him every single day. God, I don't know what this day holds. I, I don't know what's waiting for me four hours from now, but you do. I, I don't know what kind of decisions I'm going to face. I don't know when the phone rings what the person's going to say on the other side of the phone, but you do. And God, I need you. I need you every hour. In my weakness, I pray that you would give me the strength and the wisdom and the grace to face whatever it is that you bring across my path. I need you, Lord. And when we pray that, and we pray that on a daily basis, God just rolls up his sleeves and says, watch what I'm going to do. Not this, I'll take care of all the small stuff, God. Something big happens, then, I'll, then I don't want to trouble you. Then when something big happens, then I'll get your attention. No. When we admit our weaknesses, he is truly 
truly strong. The great Christian missionary, Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary in the 19th century to China, he put it this way. I think this is a pretty cool quote. Uh, Hudson Taylor said, God wants you to have something far better than riches and gold. How many of you go, yeah, I want that better than riches and gold. What is it, Hudson? And that is helpless dependence upon him. How many times have we faced something in our situation and we thought, man, if I just had more money. And God says, that's not going to help you if you just depended on me more. If I was just on the throne of your heart, you'd have everything you need. If you were just dependent totally upon me, you'd be fine. God wants us to have something far better than riches and gold, and that is helpless dependence upon him. Here's the second point that we learned through this incredible uh, way that Gideon won with weakness. God doesn't send miracles through human might, but through the weakness of humble obedience. God doesn't send miracles through human strength, human might, human power, but through the weakness of of just following through with what God tells us. Obedience. Just doing what he says. The way that he says. As I said before, you see, we're going, when we walk with Jesus Christ, we go from strength to weakness. But what really happens, we go from human strength to human weakness to supernatural strength and power. That's where it happens. Through our weaknesses. This is the point toward that, that really, really, uh, this whole story, I believe, Gideon, about Gideon in Judges chapter 7, it all points to a greater picture. That God would one day send his son, our Savior, and he would not come in strength. He would not come as a conquering king. But he came instead as a suffering servant. Over and over again as we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we don't see a conquering king in our Savior. We see a suffering servant. A suffering servant who on the night that he was betrayed, he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet like a servant does. Even Judas's feet who would betray him. And he said to his followers gathered with him in the upper room that night, as I have loved you, so you must love others. What I've done to you, you must do to others as well. And then during his trial, as he stood there and, and, and he'd been whipped and beaten and bloodied and his beard pulled out and despised and rejected, he doesn't even open his mouth to defend his actions. Weakness. As we read through the rest of the, 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 the gospel account of the crucifixion, it says that he was so weak, he couldn't even carry his own cross. And they had to grab someone out of the crowd, of Roman soldiers, in order to just carry the cross of Jesus Christ to Golgotha, the place where he was crucified. Because he was weak then finally as his outstretched arms are nailed to the cross 
and his feet as well. He stands there, he hangs there in total humiliation and weakness. The servant of God suffering for us all. And the sky turns black and he breathes his last and he dies. And because of his great weakness, he paid the price for my personal sins and your personal sins. And because he weakened himself, three days later, the power of God was demonstrated when he rose from the dead. There is no power of God if there is not the weakness of humanity. God's power is shown through weakness. God doesn't send miracles through human might, but through weakness of humble obedience, as Jesus demonstrated. And that's how it happens for you and for me when we humbly obey what God has told us. Then he brings great power into our lives. Back to Judges chapter 7. In verse 9, it says, During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up and go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. And if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah. And he says, listen, God realizes, okay, Gideon's got 300 men. I've whittled them down. There's like 40-plus thousand soldiers of the Midianites. And he's like, if you're still a little afraid, go down to the camp. I've already given them into your hand. You're going to be victorious, but you should go on down to the camp. There's something that I want you to hear. And then in Judges, verse 12 of chapter 7, it says, The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. It wasn't just the Midianites. Now they're inviting their other wicked uh, friends and, and allies to join them. So who knows how much the, uh, this army was that Gideon was facing. It was also the Amalekites as well. And, and they settled as thick as locusts. Their camels could not... Their camels could no more be counted than the sands of the seashore. Have you ever gone to the beach and tried to count the grains of sand? Do you get the, re the, the, the idea here? It's very outnumbered. And Gideon is seeing this in the camp. And then it goes on and it says, And Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. Gideon arrived and he hears, he's like, I guess behind a tent, and he hears one of these Midianite soldiers talking to another Midianite soldier in a tent. And he's telling him about a dream that he's had. These two enemy soldiers. And the dream was, I had a dream. And he was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp. And it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. What? What, is, what does that even mean? Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't end there? goes on and it says his friend responded and he interprets the dream and Gideon's eavesdropping on this conversation this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon the son of Joash the Israelite God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into their hands and basically he's kind of going eh, we're goners we're gonna die because God is on Gideon's side. 
Verse 15 is pretty wild. Happens right after this. Next verse, it says, When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Think about this picture for a minute. Here is this timid, cowardly Gideon. He's down in the camp. God's like, all right, if you're still scared, go on down there. there there's something I want you to hear. He overhears, he's eavesdropping, he hears about this guy who had a dream, he hears the interpretation. And then he says, God's going to give us the victory. It's Tuesday. I can't wait till Sunday morning when I can worship God. No, he doesn't do that at all. What does he do? He drops right there on the edge of the camp and worships God before the battle even starts because he's convinced God is going to come through just like he said. How much of our worship and praise to God is predicated on what he does and then we'll worship him? Instead of, I'm going to worship you before you do anything. It's totally, so many times our worship is conditional. I'm not going to worship you until you come through. But we see something very, very different in the faith of Gideon. He worships God before the first sword is drawn, before the battle even starts. He stops right there. He doesn't even go back to camp. He stops right there, and he worships God. And then he returns to the camp, and he tells them, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Here's the third point in this story that's so important for you and for me. At some point, faith requires taking a risk. At some point, faith requires taking a risk. At some point, we've just got to step out and, and take that first step of what God is telling us to do. At some, He's not going to push us into anything. And for so many of us, we want the whole schematic downloaded into our brain of, of like, A, you know, God, tell me your plan. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, L, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. And God's like, I don't work that way. A. Now, B. What about F, G, H? B, Greg. B. Why does God do us like that? Because he wants us depending on him all the time. If the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, if, if, if God just sent us a PDF with detailed description of the rest of our lives, we would never talk to him again. He wants to be on the throne of our hearts. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, dependent upon him a greg take the step take the risk and when we do that we can agree with the words of the psalmist in psalm 119 verse 105 who says your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path your word god your word it gives it's a it's a lamp to my feet in ancient times you know they didn't have street lights and they didn't have headlights if someone was going to travel at night, they would actually tie small little lanterns around their feet. And as they walked, it would just show the light for the next step, for the next step. It's the same way. I like to call this the 50-foot rule. You realize that's how your headlights work on your car, right? At nighttime? When you're, you say you're at the Galleria Mall and you're heading home and you're 
headlights are on, it doesn't light up the entire road before you put the car in drive. What does it do? It just lights up the next 50 feet. And as you begin to move, it lights up the next 50 and the next 50 and the next 50. And you're rolling down the road 50 feet at a time. You can see ahead. Maybe you hit the brights. Maybe it's 150 feet. Then maybe you forget the brights are on and someone starts flashing you. And you're like, idiot, turn those things off. You're blinding me. You know, that, but, but at the most, you never see the whole entire thing. That's the way it is with God. God says, you take the first step of what I've told you to do, and then I'll give you the next step. Because God's got this thing where he really wants to be number one. He wants to be first. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so back to the story of Gideon. He's got 300 men. He, he's heard this dream. He goes back to the camp, and he divides the 300 into groups of 100. And then he gives them the strategy of, of what to do and how they're going to face the Midianites. In Judges chapter 7, verse 19, it says, Gideon and the hundred men with him, so they divided them into thirds. He took a hundred, another went with another uh, commander of a hundred and another a hundred. And Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Now, just, just remember that. I'll explain that because that is a pivotal statement right there. The middle watch. At the beginning of the middle watch. The middle watch. What's that all about? I'll explain it in just a minute. At the beginning of the middle watch, just after they changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. So they've got trumpets and they've got jars, clay jars. And so right when the middle watch happens, the changing of the guard, doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo, psh, 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 all over the place. Gideon's hundred, the other hundred, and the other hundred, three hundred, blowing the trumpets, slamming down the jars, breaking them on the ground. It goes on and it says, the three companies blew the trumpet and smashed the jars. And then grasping torches in their left hand that they also had, and holding in their right hands a trumpet, they were to blow, and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! Doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo. And they've got these torches. And the Midianites look up, and they see 300 torches. And they hear these trumpets going off. And they hear this sound. And it sounds like swords coming out of sheaths. Not hundreds, but thousands. Not thousands, but tens of thousands. Not tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. And then listen to what the Bible says. It goes on and it says, While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. And it goes on and it says, and when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. They began killing themselves with friendly fire, if you want to look at it that way. Not one of the soldiers for Israel even had to pull his sword out. They slaughtered themselves. What is the whole thing about the middle guard, the middle, middle watch? In those times, if you had a camp, a military camp or army, you would divide your forces into thirds. One third would go up and they'd keep watch. Then they would come back and another third would go up and keep watch. 
and then they'd come back and the other third would go up and keep watch. So the middle third, understand what's happening here. A third of the army is asleep. A third of the army is coming in from their posts of guarding the camp. And a third of the army is going out. There's momentary, complete chaos going on. There's men coming and going in the darkness. Some are fast asleep. Now all of a sudden, trumpets, torches, sounds like swords coming out, total chaos, and they kill their own soldiers by accident and completely destroy themselves. And Midian had 300 people. And not one sword of one of the soldiers of Israel even came out of its sheath absolutely amazing as he placed them around the camp and Midian wiped itself out before Gideon fourth thing that we need to learn from this story is this God can turn weakness itself into strength God can turn weakness itself into strength that, that when we're real and we come clean and we say, God, I'm not strong. God, I'm actually weak. God says, now you watch me, Greg, turn that into strength. And when I turn your weakness into strength, you won't boast about you. You'll give me the credit all the time. But we've got to be real about our weaknesses. Not just showing and bragging on our strengths. Don't brag about those things being real and showing our weakness because we win with weakness now let me point out something huge about this story that really occurred to me when I was studying it for this message and this is huge and you can read it you can read the whole book of Judges you can read the whole Bible and you'll see if, if correct me if I'm wrong God never gave Gideon the strategy Gideon came up with that himself. God never said, here's torches, and here's some pottery, and here's some trumpets. Gideon had the strategy himself. God said, 300's all you got. Go after it. You ever heard this saying before? Necessity is the mother of invention. When we realize God... You weaken me, I'm dependent upon you. <laughs> I gotta come up with something different. Gideon came up with the strategy on his own. God says, this is all you got to use. Now use it. And he did. God can turn weakness itself into strength. God said, Gideon, not 30,000, you got 300. This is all you got, now use it for my glory. And he did. And he did. Amazing story, this story of Gideon. God's reduction of Gideon's army forced him to come up with a new plan. And here it is. It was a better plan. No life was lost on his side in the conflict because it resulted in a victory that didn't cause a single casualty for Israel. See, oftentimes... When we're real with our weaknesses, God can reorganize our entire life, and watch this now, for the better. For the better. Some of us right now, we're struggling because it feels like God just shuffled the cards of our life. 
like I thought this is the way it was going. I thought this is the way it was going to be. And all of a sudden, God just, what? Everything changed just like that. What am, I, what am I supposed to do now? And God's like, I'm reorganizing your life, and it's going to be better. It's going to be better. Don't keep mourning over, we had 30,000 soldiers. Now all I got is this 300 people. He's like, you got 300. I'm reorganizing. I'm going to give you the victory. The victory is yours already. God can turn weakness itself into strength. And here's the last point. And I think this is probably the most important. I think Gideon's whole life could be summarized as we've looked in chapter 6 and chapter 7 now today. Could be summarized in this statement. Join Jesus wherever he is. Join Jesus wherever he is. See where God is active and get involved. Do your part. Join Jesus wherever he is. See, Christian maturity is when we learn to say, I'll go anywhere as long as Jesus is with me. I'll do anything as long as Jesus is with me. In fact, Christian maturity also says, I don't want to go anywhere unless God is blessing me to do it. I don't want to do anything unless God's blessing is on my life to do that as well. The mature Christian understands Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's a great book, by the way. It was written by that, that, that is the title of the book, and I highly recommend it. It's excellent. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. As long as I have Jesus, I have everything that I need. Just give me Jesus. Let, let, let me be with him. Let me follow him. Tough times will come. I'll get through them. Difficulty and challenges will rise. I'll be all right. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. And I don't want to be anywhere or do anything when he's not there. In Christ, when we grow and we mature, come to the point where we can say I can give up everything as long as I have Jesus I have everything that I really need so I guess the big question for us is this where does God want us and what is it that he wants us to do whatever it is I want to be where he is doing what it is that he wants me to do there's three, three stages to every work that God ever does First of all, it's impossible. <laughs> then it's really difficult. And the third stage is it's done. <laughs> Looks impossible. Starts looking like mm, maybe, kind of like with Gideon. And then it's done. Now, I'd love to tell you that the story of Judges, uh, the story of Gideon ends there in Judges chapter 7, and they live happily ever after. But that's not the case. We'll pick it up next week in Judges chapter 8. Gideon went off the rails because he got a big head and he got full of pride. And it didn't end well for Gideon after this incredible victory that God had brought at him. But that's for next week. But right now, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to end a little bit differently.
than we normally do a, a, a message here at Valley Christian Church. I'd like to ask you all to bow your heads in the presence of the Holy Spirit right now. And I just want us to spend a few moments in the presence of God. And I just want to ask a couple of questions while our heads are bowed. Maybe you're here today and God's been bringing you to a moment, this moment, this moment of weakness. And maybe you even have some sense of what he's trying to teach you. God is saying to you, I, I, I want to be your security. I, I want to help you. I, I want to be your ever faithful companion. I want to be your redeemer, your savior. I want to sit on the throne of your life. Maybe you're here today and God's delivered you from weakness in the past, but you realize that you've slip back into a sense of independence from God. And I believe God is saying through this story of Gideon, wake up. Don't make me do something drastic in your life to try to get your attention. Come, come back to me. Maybe you've never started a journey with Jesus Christ before. Now you're realizing really that life is pretty hopeless and you can achieve a lot and accomplish a lot, but it's all empty apart from him. If you're here today, I just believe God wants to do business with us. That these words that we've read in the book of Judges are not historical, but they're present. And God is just giving us the opportunity to be weak to admit our weaknesses, our, our need for him so that he can be strong in our life and through our life on our behalf. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your savior and he doesn't sit on the throne of your heart, but you want him to, I'm gonna ask you just to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I confess that I cannot save myself, that I need you, and I give my life back to you. Come sit on the throne of my heart. Just pray that prayer in faith right now. Jesus, I confess I cannot save myself. I need you. I give my whole life to you. Come sit upon the throne of my heart. Thank you, Father that you love us so much that you speak to us from your word and that your Holy Spirit gently and firmly convicts our hearts that we might turn to you and receive forgiveness. In your name we pray, amen.